Theatrical Shenanigans with Dana Hall. Hello there and welcome back to another fabulous episode of Theatrical Shenanigans, but then I may be saying that with a little bias because of course I am your host, Rachel Feeney-Williams. This week brings us closer to the halfway point of our second season and I hope you've enjoyed the episode so far. If you have, then make sure you comment on your favourite episodes to tell us so, as well as liking and following our Facebook page. Alternatively, you can access our Buy Me A Coffee page via the main Podbean page and maybe buy me a pre-show cocktail as a show of support. But for now, we move on. My guest this week is no stranger to theatrical shenanigans as she has joined us as a performer in seasons one and two and the mini shenanigans as well as being a panellist on the very first episode of The Panel Presents. She will also be a featured writer in a later episode of this season so make sure you listen out for that. Outside of her numerous roles on theatrical shenanigans she has an immense list of achievements including being a winner and finalist of multiple awards having multiple plays published and being a writer of a best-selling children's book. If all of that wasn't enough, in 2022, the New York Journal recognised her as one of their 50 under 50 most influential creators during the pandemic. And I am utterly thrilled to welcome back the fabulous Dana Hall. Thank you so much, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's wonderful to have you here. So as with all my guests, I start with, how did you get started? I've always loved stories. As a young child, I was captivated by narratives. Mm. And as I was deciding what I wanted to do for a living, I went into psychology. And I'm fortunate enough to listen to other people's narratives for a living. Mm. And through these narratives, I fell deeper in love with moments, the moments that make us who we are. And from there... I stopped writing journals and professional articles and moved into playwriting. Mm. I wanted to focus on bringing voice and recognition to marginalized communities, to amplify the voice of women, and to also tackle mental health themes in my work as well. Mm. So my writing has followed a progression of my development as a person. Mm. And I hope that it connects with audiences um, on an emotional level, Mm. as well as increasing representation of groups that need to be seen and reflected more in our society. So as someone who's only just joined the world of playwriting, what advice would you give to anyone else who's maybe considering writing a play or joining the world of playwriting? So the advice I'd give to someone starting off in writing, whether it be playwriting or otherwise, Mm. is that you have a voice, you have a narrative that's uniquely yours, and work to discover it, and also Mm. surround yourself with people that uplift you, that Mm. um, celebrate you, because... As you enter this industry, you're going to find that it's one marked with doors that close, but continue to surround yourself with people, places, and things that open doors for you. Mm. Be collaborative, be reflective, and um, be yourself. Sometimes I think we try to take on a persona, perhaps, our writing persona, our acting Mm. persona, whatever it may be, (laughs) but our greatest gift is our authentic voice. 
And hmm. so I would say just double down on that and trust in yourself and you're going to find your way in this industry. Entirely sound advice. Um, so obviously I've read uh, quite a lot of your collection and one thing that you do incredibly well, one of the many things I should say, is that you create wonderfully funny or powerful roles for women. Is that a important part of your writing process, having that role there? Yeah, so I feel like as a female writer, um, not only my gender influences my perspective in the world, but um, it is one factor that's undeniably me. For me, what's authentic is writing what I know mm. and emotionality, um, societal-based issues, complexities of relationships. That's me. So that's going to be in in my work. Mm. And um, yeah, so I think that's really, it is important to me to have representation of um, female characters in lead roles, mm. as well as female characters over the age of 40. Uh, mm. I started off not only professionally as a psychotherapist, but also as an actor. And I got sick of playing roles that I felt like didn't fit me. Hmm. And I wanted to start to pen some narratives that I wanted to play. I want to play some of these parts. So <laughs> why not write them, you know, and um, uplift female actors as well. But then also outside of your work as a playwright, you've also ventured into the world of writing children's books. How did that come about? So I wrote a children's book um, that was based off of my experience as a parent of a child with special needs. My son mm -hmm. has uh, apraxia of speech and globalized apraxia or dyspraxia as it's referred to in the UK. Mm -hmm. Having a child who's nonverbal, it's an interesting juxtaposition as a therapist and a writer when words are at the center of what we do. Mm -hmm. And my children's book, Beyond Words, is a take on how we can connect with each other um, through the simple acts and gestures of kindness and inclusivity. And it was really important to me to not only teach my son how to engage in this world, but how to show others to engage with him and others that might differ from their way of being. I mm. think, you know, we need to learn how to be more inclusive and see the gifts that all of us have. So that led me to write a poem, which led to the children's book, yeah. um, Beyond Words, yeah. <laughs> and that's what makes yours such an intriguing background because you have experience in so many different styles of writing. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing um, that really hits me of late, Rachel. I'm glad that you mentioned that, that as artists, I don't think that it does us any favor to put ourselves in a box. Mm. Sometimes we want to market ourselves one way when we're diverse and mm. our love of narrative, storytelling, connection can come out in any number of ways. And that's OK. And that's good. You don't have to be just X, Y or Z. Be what it is that allows you to express who you are in this world. Okay, one last question, Dana, before we move on. Looking back on your career, can you select a key moment that stands out for you? So when you say key moment, the first thing that comes to mind is you had mentioned I started writing um, only during the pandemic, so it hasn't been that long in terms of theatrical writing. Mm. Um, when I took, I was in an acting class during the pandemic, it was virtual, and as a, an emerging writer, 
I had decided to go back and take an acting class to brush up acting skills during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And the instructor had said, I had asked a question, um, an industry related question. And he said to me, how old are you? And I answered and he said, you must have a lot of regrets. And I said, absolutely not. Mm. What do you mean? And he said, because at your age, I would think that if this was something you uh, focused on, you might be in a different place than you are. And I said, mm. I'm in the place I want to be. Mm. That, that was here. Now I'm not so sure, right, in this class. But the ageism, the projection that um, as a woman, if you're not um, of a certain age, you're no longer valuable in this industry. Mm. That hit me really hard. And that kind of rhetoric was an aha moment for me where I felt like I wanted to shut down. I wanted to shut down as an actor. I wanted to pack up my bag as a writer. And it was all because of this one moment with this one person. And to me, after I reflected on it, that has been my biggest catalyst forward mm. is no, we're not going away. No, we don't regret. We don't regret raising families. We don't regret the sacrifices we've made. But I know I will regret standing down and not elevating others. And so I think for me, that moment where I felt an unremarkable amount of shame and wanting to... Uh, decrease myself, wanted to minimize myself, mm. has only now helped me to amplify and um, recognize that that would do me no service to mm. go away. That would be too convenient. So, um, so yeah. So that has been a major catalyst for me to also, um, you know, be more of an advocate within the community as well. So now that we know all about Dana, I can tell you about our playwriting duo for this week, a first for theatrical shenanigans. The play we will hear shortly is called A Wager and was written by Sarah J. Baker and Hadley Vogler. Sarah is a new playwright having just finished her third play, but is also an actor, dramaturg and director from Northern Colorado. She studied acting and theatre studies at the University of Northern Colorado, where she discovered a passion for writing. She works as a marketing and administrative assistant, as well as being a dramaturg at the Open Stage Theatre and Company. You will find her lovely collection of plays on New Play Exchange, which I've mentioned many times on this show. And if you are looking for your theatre company's next play, it's definitely a fabulous resource. Hadley Vogler, the other half of the playwriting team, is a director, producer and playwright from Los Angeles. She loves to be able to merge her history in theatre with her future in film to create stories and her favourite project was when she directed and produced Creature by Heidi Schreck. The idea for today's play came from these two playwrights deciding to, well, write a play together. Initially thought of as just a writing exercise, the ideas soon came thick and fast for the writing team and the piece started to take shape. In the play, we are introduced to Copeland and Peck, two enemies entangled in business and their personal lives. But in this tense argument, which of them comes out on top? Theatrical Shenanigans presents A Wager by Sarah J. Baker and Hadley Vogler. I've told you everything I know. That's more than enough. 
and will be prepared for that should it play out. I'm only going to reveal the bare minimum. The file is here. Peck's here now. I'll try to call soon. Thank you for your discretion. Peck? Thanks for meeting with me. I want to resolve this quickly and quietly, and so do you. I know we can avoid this ugliness and settle things cordially. Oh, I want that too. Us meeting is not any more pleasant for me than for you. You've created quite the situation here. I'm not the only one who's done questionable things, am I? We aren't here to discuss my ethics. What exactly are we discussing? You started sending me messages out of the blue saying we needed to meet. I'm not even sure what you think you know about me. Now that's just not true. I don't think you would have agreed to meet me if that was the case. I'm confident you know what this is about. If you want me to say it, I will. You cheated on my daughter. That is none of your business. Oh, this is absolutely my business. I begged her not to marry you, and now look where we are. I should have done more to stop this from happening. Ouch. Yeah, that's not news. You've never really put much effort into hiding that. I wasn't trying to. You're lucky I've tolerated you this long. Ah, yes. Thanks for the warm welcome into the family, old-timer. Does Celia know? How would that benefit anyone? Right now, no one in this situation gets hurt. She's happy, and so am I. You think I'm going to cover for you again? Oh, not with this. This isn't like the other things. This is my daughter. You've gone too far. You need to tell her. I don't think that's going to happen. All right. I thought you might say something like that. You know what? Tell her or don't. That's up to you. But I've come here to tell you that come Monday morning, she will know. Would you really want to hurt her? Besides, can you really afford another scandal? No, I can't. And that's why I've come to this decision. I will tell her on Monday. You are in the public eye. People are going to see you doing this. They will report it, and then Celia will find out from the tabloids. It's better she finds out from me than the media. I can be more subtle if that's what it comes down to. This is a bad time for all of this. What if I agree to tell her in a few months? Once I'm able to close on that location downtown and start my expansion. This isn't just a scandal I'm worried about. You're cheating on my daughter. I will not forget that. And I couldn't care less if this is a bad time for you. You tell her tonight, or I tell her Monday. You're not going to do that. You know she won't stand for cheating. She's going to leave you once she knows. We will release to the public that you cheated and get ahead of the story before it's a problem for us. Then I'll actually be rid of you. This revelation would kill my upcoming deal and ruin my business. I'm sure it would. I know you've never liked me, but hurting my company hurts you. I'm calling your bluff. (laughs) I'll take a small hit from being associated with you and your company. 
but I'll sell my stakes, and we will sever ties. If you destroy my marriage and my business, I will take your career down with me. Copeland Industries is tied to you and your political career in numerous ways. We're practically synonymous. You've also broken more than a few laws in order to help this company get where it is today. Well, my daughter begged me to help you, and I gave in. I never wanted to do all of that. I don't believe that. Maybe in the beginning you felt that way, but now we have advanced each other's careers. You have enjoyed quite a few benefits from helping my company advance. Huh. Maybe so. But that all ends now. My illegal business dealings are the only reason you still have a platform. Who funded your last round of campaign rallies? If you take my business down, you'll fall right along with it. I don't want or need your funding anymore. I'll make do without it. I will reveal the illegal deals you've helped me with and take you down. You don't have proof that I was involved in those dealings, so who would believe you? I do have proof, actually. I collected it as a precaution, in case you ever tried to hurt me. I, I don't believe you. Show me what you have. No, I don't think I will. I'm not the sort of person you want to mess with. I thought you knew that. I do. But despite what you think you know about me, I'm not the sort of person to mess with either. Oh, I don't... I will not have you hurt my family and my career! Relax. What happened to a calm discussion? Oh, this... This, this has all gotten very, very messy. Yes, it has. I don't want to fistfight you over it. Can we resume our discussion? Yes. You're too late to cut ties with me. You've been covering my dealings for years. Our ties are too tangled for the public to separate the two of us. Well, that may be true. Well, perhaps there's some other solution. Mind if I... Uh... Get us some drinks. Go ahead. I... I don't know how to solve this. We continue on like we have in the past. I'm not sure I can do that. What else is there to do? You'll have to. Well, it's getting late. I'm going to let Celia know I'll be on my way soon. Anton, I've changed my mind. Initiate plan C. Yes. I'm sure it's the only option. Was this ever even about Celia or just business? It can be both. I'm still not sure I can let this go. What do you suggest we do? We're just walking around in circles at this point. I know we are. 
I, I have thought a lot about this, and there's pretty limited solutions at this point. I agree. You're out of cards to play. I don't see how I can trust in the future. You can't. But trust goes both ways. Right. So I don't see how things between us could ever be as they were again. You forced my hand here. In what sense? The fact that I'll always be around? No. The fact that I can't afford to keep you around. Is that a threat? No. It's already been done. What? You told Celia? We've already discussed that that doesn't work well for anyone. I've gone with a different solution. How are you feeling? Feeling? What did he... What did you do? Sorry it's had to go this way. You should be starting to feel something any second. I did tell you I was not the kind of person to mess with. Glad to have resolved it, though. Cheers. taken at the moment, so please leave your message after the tone. Good evening, Mr. Copeland. Plan C has been initiated. Peck shouldn't be a problem anymore. either came out on top there but it was certainly thrilling to find out that was bob sawyer as copeland and gilly fick as peck in a wager by sarah j baker and hadley vogler so dana what are your first impressions oh wow what a remarkable play that mm. is so fast-paced engaging it makes me think there's a saying it's not the power that corrupts but that power is a magnet to the corruptible mm. and this play is a brilliant example of that sentiment um copeland and peck are moths to that flame i think it's interesting because you they're both fighting so ferociously to protect the things that they love the most. Um, Peck uh, is protecting her daughter and Copeland is protecting his his business and his fortune and his sense of power. And it's like, you sound, you, you often almost imagine it as kind of two wild animals just like circling each other and you're just waiting for one of them to pounce. <laughs> right, right. And I love how Peck initially appears to have the upper hand, right, mm. with this firm ultimatum and seemingly to have morality on their side. Mm. You've wronged my daughter. And so I feel like we're initially in a corner. 
But just as we start to identify in that way, Copeland hits us with the retaliation and exposing um, the enmeshment that they have, all the entanglements, and then gives us a series of threats of their own. Mm. So I love that we kind of go back and forth as the listener. Mm. And uh, we soon realize there's not really a moral high ground here to lose. But yet they have so much at stake. The stakes couldn't be higher. And I love a play Mm. that starts off with high stakes Mm. is we are in it. And I kept saying to myself, like, this dialogue is fast paced. It's not. Mm. What's fast paced is our motivation to hear what happens. Because actually, as an audio piece, you've all done so well to build the intrigue and tension and this touch of noir that's just fascinating you know how peck pours a drink even mm-hmm. so what made me step back was like ooh, it's not necessarily that it's fast-paced it's well-timed it's sharp it's clever mm-hmm. and i'm intrigued by the cunning of it which makes our minds um fast-paced in this scenario but the thing for me is i've always loved uh be it theater movies tv shows i always love the kind of no moment when you suddenly think oh my god and this has got like several of those right it just it just keeps unraveling but Mm. you know when i say unraveling i kind of do a motion of like it's winding down but this play never winds down right like Mm. it unravels but it keeps rolling. And I love that of it. Like you said, it's one, oh, who, no, yes. How dare they after another, you know? Yeah. And it makes you think about their true motives because going in, we think we understand the motivations, but the motivations are this shifting platform that keeps us questioning. And um, yeah, it, it makes me uh, kind of worried for celia the 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 third character-esque in this play that they all have some connection to but uh but more of a connection to their own motivations i suppose yeah and uh yeah it makes you kind of suppose what will happen to them after all of this goes down Mm. Here, I think the audio format lends very well to the psychology of the play. Mm. Um, And I think that's its strength in this format. Um, But yeah, it's it's intriguing and it keeps you thinking. And I love a play that gives you something to think about when it's over. When you're opening the refrigerator door and you're thinking as you reach in to grab something (laughs) to drink. And you're like, wow. Ooh, that's right. That happened. And then that mm-hmm. happened. I love those. I think for me, though, it was less a moment of thinking and more a moment of complete shock because the way, all, all the way through, this is like a back and forth competition between the two of them. And our standard thought of competition is somebody has to win. Someone yeah, has to stand at the end of this play and win. <laughs> and neither of them have won. They're both dead. <laughs> yeah, it, it stacks nicely where you are rooting. Like you want to root for some kind of winner but they're both not maybe protagonists that you want to root for but yet that's the beauty of theater where we can like have these moments of I don't know getting into the nitty-gritty and see how this side of the world exists you know puts us in situations we don't normally encounter and I love that about this one too 
And it, it, it sparks debate as well, because obviously, yes, it's shocking to have, you know, no one win and it's just it's, it's just over. But then it's also weirdly satisfying because, as you said, both of these people have done morally questionable things. Neither of them are, we say with air quotes, good guys or good people. Um, so there is a feeling as an audience so when you sit back and think, actually, I'm quite satisfied with how this has turned out. The, the, the bad people are both dead. <laughs> right. And, so, and also, I felt a little like, and I was invested in them. <laughs> like, So it's almost <laughs> like, what does that say about me? That I was like, ooh, like, you know, going with every twist and turn. And then, um, yeah. And I, and I love how we have this... Um, the secret mm. in the midst of everything. Like there's so many secrets revealed between Copeland and Peck and there's a allusion to other secrets, but then the audience is actually in on a secret mm. when Copeland is making the sidebar conversations, he's making the call, right. Mm. Um, to an associate, we get in on there's, there's another plan here. There's another layer to this conflict, not just what we're seeing play out here, there's another um, initiative happening. And I love when plays do that, when they let us be in on a secret. Yeah. Um, I think that's so cool that, you know, we're like, ooh. And, and then we're waiting to see how that drops. And unfortunately, fortunately, um, that secret plays out a little too late for Copeland's benefit. Mm. But... <laughs> um, but yeah, I just love that element too, where not only do we have all these secrets being revealed, we have this secret secret that the audience mm -hmm. is in on. And that's a lot of fun. No, definitely. Um, I say we are almost out of time, but Dana, what are your final thoughts, overall opinions of the of the piece? I would say my overall opinion is that this is a wonderfully written, such a fast-paced control, power, cunning, just all of the themes that make you truly engaged in a piece are here. Mm -hmm. And it leaves you thinking, it leaves you feeling, and it leaves you, dare we say, satisfied at this ending. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, Dana, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Always a pleasure, Rachel. And that brings us to the end of our fourth episode in our second season of Theatrical Shenanigans. I hope you've enjoyed yourselves as much as Dana and I did. And if you did, then please feel free to show your support in any way you can with a like, follow, share or comment. Or maybe visit our Buy Me A Coffee page and the link for that can be found on our main website. I hope you can join us again in a fortnight when we'll be celebrating the work of a British playwright. But in the meantime though, I've been Rachel Feeney-Williams, this is Theatrical Shenanigans, bringing down the curtain and saying I hope you can join us next time. Theatrical Shenanigans was an RFW Scripts production with music written and produced by Chris Cody.